Hello and welcome to Punch a Hole in the Wind, a look at some of the great thoroughbred racehorses who have graced our racetracks all around the world over the last century or so. I'm Ollie Hine, and it's great of you to join me on this exciting trip down memory lane. My aim is to both remind you of some of your heroes from years gone by, but also to introduce you to some others whom you may not be so familiar with. Today's journey to the past is a poignant one and revolves around a US filly who was a legend in her home nation, yet was barely spoken about beyond. As we'll find out, her lower profile has very little to do with her remarkable abilities, but perhaps more to do with her heartbreaking end. The filly in question is Ruffian. When a talent sadly passes away too young in the performing arts, there is something of a tendency to overly eulogise the output and skill that they had displayed before they died, so that their potential, at least, is not forgotten. It is completely understandable. In the competitive world of sport, by contrast, we can instead look at the cold, hard reality of competition, and therefore judge one who leaves us too soon more realistically. To that end, we should ensure that Ruffian's utterly tragic end should never detract from the fact that, until then, she had already displayed more than enough to prove herself a true great, and should not simply be remembered as a ghastly footnote to the fragility of the racehorse. But who was this incredible filly, who exploded supernova-like onto the racing scene, plumb in the middle of the US's golden decade of racing, the 70s? With the fall of Saigon, and a movie about a huge killer shark keeping all the people occupied, along came a queen the public could rally around. Yet as time has passed, more and more the enigma has grown. A daughter of reviewer, by native dancer damn shenanigans, Ruffian was always huge in stature as well as performance. Nearly jet black, built like a stallion, yet still quite feminine, legs of a supermodel, muscles of a gladiator, they said. No one could recall any other filly standing at 16.2 hands as a two-year-old. Fiercely independent in spirit and business-minded to the end, it was often said that she had defeated her competitors before they had even started racing. Such was her intimidating demeanour. Trained by Frank Whiteley and owned by Stuart and Barbara Janney, she didn't enter the yard like a future champion. A distinctly fat yearling, she was called Sophie the Sofa by the more cruel-minded stable hands. That didn't last long, though. Once she started racing, she would never be beaten. Not in a real race, at least. Taken to a Belmont Park maiden in May 1974, she started as she would carry on, in utterly dominant style. Even over an inadequate five and a half furlongs, 1,100 metres, she burst out of the gate and finished an incomprehensible 15 lengths ahead of her nearest pursuer. The pattern was repeated again and again. Whether at Belmont, Aqueduct or Monmouth Park, she wasn't beating her rivals. She was destroying them. Finishing off her season at the Spinaway Stakes at Saratoga, with a scintillating annihilation of her opposition, she took only 1 minute 8 and 3 fifth seconds to complete the six furlongs and her nearest pursuer was toiling 12 lengths away. Sadly, she sustained a hairline fracture of her right hind ankle, probably during a morning gallop in late September of that season, so she would be put away for the season to heal. 
the champion two-year-old filly title was already long hers. Once recovered by the following spring, she carried on her rewriting of the record books. Indeed, crushing wins would feature in all of her ten completed races, spread over her two-year-old and three-year-old career. She won them all with an average winning distance of over eight lengths. She was never even headed in any of them, and neither did she keep to the sprints, with all distances up to a mile and a half, twelve furlongs, tried and conquered. She was a beast. These were not run-of-the-mill races. Half of Ruffian's successes came at grade one, including the Phillies' triple crown, also called the triple tiara, of the acorn stakes, the mother goose stakes, and the American oaks. Further, and incredibly, she either beat or tied the track record in every single one of her races. Utterly unheard of. Her principal jockey throughout was Jacinto Vasquez, who had only once ever felt the need to slap her with the whip, stating calmly, Ruffian sets her own pace. In the Mother Goose, she won by 13 lengths, and in a time that would not be beaten for 34 years. The US racing scene was clear. Here surely was the greatest filly to have graced the American racetracks. As God is my judge, she might be better than Secretariat. Powerful words coming from anyone, but given a whole new residence when uttered by Secretariat's actual trainer, Lucien Lorin. But in 1975, sport was still sport, and not just business. And public clamour grew for a match race between the newly crowned Queen and the Kentucky Derby victor, Foolish Pleasure. Such was her profile beyond racing circles that it became one of the most talked-about sporting events of the year stateside, and was to be shown on live TV. Initially, trainer Whiteley and owners Stuart and Barbara Janney weren't keen, as it seemed an unnecessary distraction. But there was pressure both from the media, keen to keep the public's interest high in a post-secretariat world, and from an adoring public. The $125,000 winner's purse wouldn't hurt either. Once the race was switched to New York's Belmont Park, rather than California, they relented. Vasquez, the regular rider of both Ruffian and Foolish Pleasure, was offered the ride on both. Despite misgivings over the whole enterprise, he picked the filly without hesitation, leaving Panamanian legend Braulio Baeza to partner the colt. What followed on that hot 6th of July afternoon in 1975 was unforgettable but for all the wrong reasons. The public had been whipped into excitement, with the match race billed as the equal of both Man of War vs. Sabaton in 1920 and Seabiscuit vs. War Admiral 18 years later. 50,000 folk turned up in person, 20 million on TV, all armed with newspapers proclaiming the battle of the sexes on their front pages. Despite stumbling out of the inside gate and hitting her shoulder hard, Ruffian matched Foolish Pleasure for the first two furlongs, run at a ferocious 22 and one-fifth seconds. Then, in the third furlong, she started to inch ahead, which was when the audience heard a sickening crack. The sesamoid bones in Ruffian's right front leg had snapped. Yet the only thing that really beat Ruffian that day was Ruffian herself. Although in agony, and despite Vasquez's valiant efforts to pull her up, she refused to stop for what seemed an age, a fighter to the end who refused to yield. 
when eventually she slowed enough for him to jump off and soothe her. As she circled him in confusion, her hoof was essentially hanging uselessly. All those watching were in horror, despite the vets arriving incredibly quickly to the scene and loading her into a horse ambulance that went straight to the operating theatre to try to rescue her. One of those vets, Dr Manuel Gilman, had ironically only commented earlier that day, after the compulsory inspection of the two horses, that Ruffian was the finest anatomical specimen I've examined in 20 years as an NYRA vet. Meanwhile, at the other end of the track, foolish pleasure came home on his own. However, all eyes were elsewhere, the stunned silence of the crowd only punctuated by sobs. Heartbreakingly, the news that followed the next day was even worse. After many hours of surgery, as the anaesthetic had worn off, and despite the efforts of the staff to calm her, a confused and terrified ruffian had thrashed wildly on her side, spinning in circles and smashing her plaster cast against her left elbow, leaving it like a piece of smashed ice. With her right foreleg also now rebroken in the commotion, the vets were left with no choice but to humanely euthanise her. It was a brutal, sorrowful end to a life that had delivered so much, but promised to deliver even more. Ruffian was buried in the infield of Belmont Park, with her head poignantly facing the finish line. Countless books were written about her, and later a movie made. Such was the impact that she'd had on those who saw her. At the end of the century, Sports Illustrated compiled a list of the top 100 US female athletes of the century. And there sits Ruffian, amongst the other legends, in splendid isolation as the only non-human. Match races, mercifully, have become largely a thing of the past, spurred by the haunting vision of Ruffian's final few hours. I, for one, choose not to watch that race again. Instead, many of Ruffian's sensational victories are there to be admired online. Let those sublime moments instead be the true legacy of this scintillating filly. Jacinto Vasquez it was who summed her up most poignantly. She was like Marilyn Monroe. There was everyone else, and then there was her. To find out more about Ruffian and other greats from the past, check out my book, Punch a Hole in the Wind, out now and available online and in bookshops. Next time, we'll go to a different part of the world and explore the exploits of another great horse from another era who could punch a hole in the wind. But until then, this is Ollie Hine signing off and saying thank you for listening.